2: Hello everyone and welcome back to XYZ, the podcast about CNC automation, robotics, business and more. My name is Nick Frank. I'm one of the owners at Frank Brothers Guitar Company and I'm joined by my good pal and co-host Aaron Goff of Goff Custom Knives. How the hell are you? Good, man. It's good to see your face again. Yeah, likewise. <laughs> I mean, this yeah, is and- um, radio, so it's good to hear your voice. Again. There you go.
3: Yeah, my apologies to everyone that was uh, very angry. I got lots of very angry messages, people being
2: like, where the hell are you? Et cetera. Oh, nobody no, reached out to me at all.
3: It was nice that people missed us. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry that we weren't recording for a while there. I was just feeling very like, you ever feel like you just have commitments every second of every day and you just want to turn them all off for a little bit?
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, I've got a lot of commitments, so I kind of yeah, know another feeling.
3: Yeah, so I was just like, okay, I need a little bit of a mental health break here for a little bit. So I just, I you know, there's a lot of stuff I can't avoid, but I just turned off all the stuff I could avoid for a couple of weeks there. Fair enough. Yeah, We're
2: back at it now, though. Yes, sir. How how are you, mate? How are things with you? Good. I feel like, you know, I don't know how long it's been. Because time just, you know, is that abstract? It's been three weeks. Oh, Okay. Um, so yeah, I've been good. I mean, we've just been like totally swamped with production, which is my favorite place to be. Uh, mm. cause when you're totally swamped with production, you kind of don't, it gives you perspective on how production is going. So you think about the processes or, you know, how you can make things more efficient, but the right. other stuff that kind of nags at you when you run a business kind of, you don't think about for a while, It's probably not great, but. Uh, it'll catch up with me, uh, but that's, that's where I've been. And, I've, and I, and you know, I've been enjoying that, uh, that aspect of, of the heavy production.
3: Nice. Cause sometimes production slow,
2: you know, but that's, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, I find that a slog.
3: Has it been speedy that now with the, the new processes and stuff? Or?
2: Man, like the Haas just cooks. <laughs> um. That's my yeah, own it's not much of a
3: comparison up. between something like the Haas and and a router, right?
2: No, I mean the other big thing about it, like tool changes are faster, sure. Rapids are faster. Um, it's really the the way we have set the Haas up, the work holding, um, mm-hmm. how we you know take putting parts on, taking parts off. We've we've updated the code for the machine, like for the Haas versus you know because we were making the same stuff on the axes. Um it's just right. uh we we've improved all those lessons we learned from the axes we could have applied to that machine too uh but right. we also just have less rework like the tolerances are better um yep. i don't have to worry so much about the uh calibration of it
3: <laughs> right yeah and plus you can keep a lot of machine a uh, lot of tools in the machine
2: that's you know, the best part oh my god them. i'm s- saving yeah. so much time on My tool changes, my tool swaps, like swapping out uh, tools for like running fretboards and then, oh, I've got to run plastics and now I've got to run bodies like, and I'm still doing that because I've now I still run fretboards. I still run necks and I still, I, I have been running plastics up until this uh, up next week. I'll be not running plastics on the axes anymore, except for specialty stuff. So yeah, I think um, uh, probably in that respect, a lot's changed in the last few weeks, just in that, awesome. I've been using the Haas f- f- a lot. Yeah, uh, and you know we had some crazy, like, typical things happen in terms of that you know have held us back. Uh, like what? Give us an example of one. You said crazy. Ooh, okay. I had a f- f- super scary near crash. Oh, on the Haas st- or on the yeah. Axis? On the Hoss, I did crash oh, the axes okay. too, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> um, yeah, this was fucked up, and okay. I, it it was kind of my fault, kind of not my fault. So, and it kind of doesn't make any sense. So, here's what happened: I started running a program. I I forget what I was even doing, but I got like halfway through the program, and I was like, and I needed to pause it to stop it. Um, so, oh, I, I remember what I was doing. I, uh, I, I glued a top, we glued a top to a guitar and we needed to take the top off. So I was going to rerun the top routing program. Mm, just cut it all the way. Just cut it right off. But I had to skip a couple program parts because that program also routes the holes for the, the bushings, the, the hardened steel bushings for locating. So I didn't right. really want to route those out and I didn't want to remove them. Um, right. so I was like, oh, I'll just skip ahead in the program and Haas has a thing called setting 36 or it's program restart and you can skip ahead to a line of code and press start. And it, it'll, you know, run through the code in the computer, but not actually mm-hmm. run the code and then right. start right there. And usually it does like a tool change. Um, even if it's got the right tool in it, it'll t- change the tool and then change back. I don't know why hmm. it's so what I, you have to do is turn setting thirty six on, and okay. I thought we just had it on for some reason. I just thought it was on because we'd done this recently, and it works. It's easy to use. Right. So I went to the line of code, selected it, pressed start, and the the spindle just plunged straight down, all the way, bottom to oh, self it. Like,
3: like was that yeah. a cutting? Was that in the program? no not even it's that not move? that's
2: not even a movement that's in the program at all oh it punched straight down which we would never do because we have a fixture plate and a um uh pallet uh you know like a um we got a what am i trying to say we have our pallets. Nice yeah, yeah on top of um a fixture that's pla- gross another fixture did, plate did you work out why it happened well, I mean, so I didn't have setting thirty six on, which is what happened what when I called Haas, I complained. I was like, this just happened, it was crazy. Um so first of all, luckily my table was all the way forward because when we've written every oh. like when the program ends, it pushes it moves the table all the way forward to the yeah. to the operator. It presents the itself. Yeah. So it like, yeah, that's where our, our home is kind of. So it literally just missed the spindle missed the table by like a quarter of an inch.
3: Um, So what things did you learn from this? Sorry? What things did you learn from this?
2: Well, have setting 36 on, I guess, but that's not fair. Like that shouldn't happen. Even if, because you could say, you know, this is a touch screen. I could could touch the screen by mistake and highlight a certain line of code and press cycle start without even thinking or, you know, knowing I did it. That's an easy mistake to make. And what is it, just well, kind of plunge the spindle down? It's it's table? really
3: strange that it made that move, even though that move isn't in the program anyway. Exactly. Like, was it doing something because you didn't have a tool offset set or something? You know?
2: I, not, not to my knowledge. What yeah. I, I, so, I mean, so for I'm, me,
3: whenever I'm doing something that's even slightly out of the usual, in my head, the process is always rapids to minimum, so 25% in my case, yeah. and feed rate down you know so I, I turn the feed rate down to like 10 percent or whatever and then you know as things are good i start turning it back up to 100
2: percent. that's smart that's smart you
3: know, i turn the rapids back up um the, yeah just because yeah you, you know there. whenever you're doing something out of the ordinary there's always the possibility for something unexpected to happen you know and as you found out it's brown trousers
2: time when it does so. it was fucked up yeah. I was like I, st- I literally stood there and just like wiped the sweat from my brow and like <laughs> breathed th- deeply <laughs> for like five minutes and just stared at it because yep. it was like yep. shocking and super lucky. Mm-hmm. So it would have been a bad crash because it was like full rapids plunge Zed right down. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know?
3: Yeah, I've actually done that exact same thing but made contact. Oh. Um yeah, I, I forget what the issue was. I think I'd, I hadn't set up a tool offset correctly. And so the machine went to start the program and it just uh, smashed the front of the tool holder straight into the side of the fixture, oh. uh, which luckily the fixture was held in the vice and it was sticking out on the left-hand side. So rather than making solid contact, it actually like tore it out of the vice jaws upwards. It like pivoted sure. the fixture. Um, so Slow. that... that yeah, that slowed it down and overloaded the this, this servo without, like, crashing into an immovable surface like my right, vice. Right, it was like an airbag. Yeah, but it's still, like, it. it's uh, friction stir welded the, the collet nut into the side of the fixture, threw the box <laughs> out in a big, like, 360 degrees, you know, and I was
1: like, oh, Fuck. Sweetie,
3: that's... Yeah, brown trousers time, as I said.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. And
3: that's why I do 25% rapids and 10% feed. Well, now. I
2: I will I haven't had the guts to try using program restart since but uh, mm-hmm. I don't think that's I I, th- I think that's a fuck up on the machine's part to be honest.
3: Yeah, so the other thing that I do to mitigate issues like that is rather than using program restart, I actually repost my code with just the operations I want to do mm-hmm. from Fusion 360. So, if in Fusion, um, you know, when you're posting an entire program, you'll like click the setup and then say post. But you can actually go through and pick if you hold down Command and click on individual operations, uh, like individual toolpaths. You can post just part of a program. So, if I need to rework or do something where I'm just doing part of a program, I actually just repost to avoid. And that's what
2: we like that. ended up doing. Yeah, uh, but I mean, that's a function uh, that that they offer. And it should be usable. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, I get like, I didn't have it on. So my bad, <laughs> but the, that's not the punishment I should be getting for. Yeah. For making that kind of mistake. Like yeah, that's 100%. Uh, the, the machine's just going to destroy itself now because you forgot to turn one setting on.
3: Yeah.
2: I don't 100%. know. Come at me if you are listening and you have uh, an opinion about it. Uh, but <laughs> I, when I, and when I talked to Haas about it, they were like, you know, I, I like to be honest. I'm like, I wasn't going to tell them that I didn't make a mistake. Like this is what happened yeah. exactly. And they were like, Oh, well you have to have program, setting 36 on. I'm like, yes, I know that. But is that really what happens when you don't have setting 36 on?
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Cause it that seems be fucked
2: that. up. That shouldn't happen. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Um. Anyways. So there was that. Uh, <laughs> what about you? am <laughs> oh,
3: glad you, glad you missed. Yeah. unfortunately, uh, like the so like I'm still catching up. I'm still like working on catching up um, with production stuff, and for the most part, that was going pretty smoothly. But I was just feeling really overworked, and then this week, like the last seven days, I you know I may as well have Have you seen that? Um, have you seen the movie *Idiocracy*? Mm, I don't
2: know. Not so there's a TV.
3: So it's this movie about a guy that gets frozen and then he wakes, up, he wakes up and all the stupid people have been breeding and the whole world is full of morons. And like <laughs> f- the most popular TV show in this world is called Owl My Balls. And it's just, <laughs> it's just the same guy getting hit in the nuts over and over again. Yeah, that's and yeah, the last week has felt a little bit like that.
2: <laughs> okay, yeah. I mean, walk me through it because I've seen a little bit on your Instagram story.
3: Yeah. So like on Friday or Thursday evening, I was um, cutting some G10 on uh, my Fidal, the on Millie, the VMC10. And I heard this really nasty like rattling noise. And I was like, okay, what was that? So I, you know, I hit stop and it was right at the end of the day. So I was like, okay, I'll just, I'll peace out and I'll come back tomorrow and see what happened. So I come in and I, I pull the head of the machine apart. And it was, it was something that was happening like, with the with the spindle, like it was happening in time with the RPM and the spindle, it was like a rattle or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I took everything apart, looked at the belts, you know, checked everything out. I couldn't see anything bad. I I put it all back together and tried to make it make the noise again, and I couldn't. So I was like, oh, I must have fixed it. You know, sometimes you just get a rattle, a or
2: something. Or something.
3: <laughs> yeah, who knows? Um, and then you know, I was using it, it, was fine. And then I came in on Monday and I started the machine up, and same noise much worse (laughs) like it sounded like someone had thrown a handful of gravel into my spindle motor is is what it sounds like so yeah i mean it it sounded very much like it was coming from the spindle motor so i was like all right well as far as i know that's the original spindle motor on that machine so you know probably a bad bearing um so i pulled it out um so yeah i pulled the spindle motor started pulling the motor apart honestly like not a big deal at all um You know, like replacing the bearings in a motor is actually easier than I had thought, which is great. Ordered the bearings on McMaster. Gotta love McMaster. (laughs) Um, And last time I ordered something from McMaster, they said it was going to be delivered like 2 to 4 p.m. And then they tried to deliver it at like 9.30 in the morning and I wasn't there and I missed it. So Tuesday, I'm like, okay, I can't miss this delivery. So I get to the shop early and I'm sitting around. And then I end up sitting around all day because it doesn't come until 3 p.m. Okay. Like that, they said, that's yeah, no big deal. Uh, and then I'd ordered a gear puller as well. Cause I didn't have a gear puller big enough to pull off the front bearing. Cause the front bearing on the spindle motor is actually about uh, six inches from the end of the shaft. So you'd need a really big bearing puller to, to get it. Huh. Um, so, you know, that, that nothing terrible, like, you know, things happen, but I'm sitting there and my whole shop is a disaster. I can't really work on anything else because I've like pulled the compressor out, the shop cranes in the way, you know, the machines pulled apart, blah, blah. So I'm just like kind of taking it easy. I'm sitting there and I, I'm looking at this dent that's on the front left hand side of the, the screen of my MacBook. And I'm like, I should just push that dent out. It's been there forever. So I get like a bit of plastic and I start pushing it. Uh. And then the screen blacks out. I'm like, Oh my God. You ever have one of those moments where you're in the middle of doing something, you know, like, this is a bad idea. Why am I doing this? Yeah. And yeah. So the the glass on the screen must've been just chipped and that little bit of pressure, it just started cracking. And then the crack oh. just destroyed the LCD screen. I just killed my, my Fuck. MacBook because I was bored basically. <laughs> so then I was like, I can't like not have a computer. That's like how my business runs, you know? So I spent the rest of the day. I found a guy that was selling another computer Another identical imp- computer. I just went and bought it. It was like seven hundred bucks, seven hundred fifty bucks. Um, but then it turns out that one had a swollen battery when I like took it apart to check it out. So I ended up swapping the screen onto onto my one instead. So that was like <laughs> Tuesday done. And then the, today to for a screen, bought a screen. Oh yeah, bought a whole computer for a screen. Yeah, seriously. Um, and then yeah, the, I so I bought another bearing puller, and um, that arrived at like. 4 p.m. on on Tuesday, but and it still wasn't long enough. They really? said this the listing for this thing said you know it had an eight inch reach, but I measured it. That eight inch reach is when the jaws are at zero width, like right, they're all course. the way together. So, and as soon as you spread them out, the reach yeah. reduces substantially. Yeah, so I was fucking around with it this morning. I was like welding lugs onto the outer race of the bearing so that I could like get to I could pull it from the front side of the bearing. Where I could actually okay. reach, all this crap and like the the bearing was on there so hard that I actually welded on um like uh three sixteenths thick f- uh, steel flat stock onto the outside race of the bearing, and then it I was putting so much pressure on the puller that the the steel that I'd welded on just flowed like candy, like it just bent right over, even though really? it was like only sticking out like a quarter of an inch. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. So, in the end, I was like, "You know what? There's an automotive like there's like a mechanics shop in the building that I'm in, so mm-hmm. I, I went in there and I was like, "Do you guys have like a press or something? Can I pay you like fifty bucks to like press this off and the the owner was like, "Oh, yeah, he's you know, he's running around, but yeah, he did it in like five minutes, and then he wouldn't <laughs> take my money. You oh, know? so I spent like three hours fucking around with this thing when I should have just gone and asked someone that had the right tools, you know
2: well, so do it yourself or
3: yeah." Well, I like to have the tools on hand to do all that kind of stuff, you know, if, sure. if you need to. So, yeah, a small hydraulic press is now on my shopping list. Um, <laughs> ah. But yeah, so the motor's all back together. Um, I just... How much is a new bearing? Like, oh, it wasn't much at all. It was like 70 bucks for the both the top and bottom bearings.
2: Ah, Okay. And that was the problem?
3: Um, we'll see. I mean, the inside of the bearing race did have some wear. Um, and there was some slop in it, but it's kind of hard to tell with this kind of bearing because it's not like an angular contact bearing; it's what's called a deep groove ball bearing. So there's always some slop in them, like okay. you know, when they're new from the factory, that you, you can kind of wiggle a shaft that's in one of those bearings. Okay, um, it's it's not designed; it's designed to constrain the shaft radially, not axially. So it has to have some some play in it. Um, so yeah, I'll really only know once I. Put it back in the machine.
2: Um well I hope that's it.
3: Yeah, me too. What else fingers could it be? Crossed. Uh spindle bearings. Ooh, that's a whole other story, eh? Yes. Yeah, I don't want it to be the spindle bearings. <laughs> <laughs> so fingers <laughs> crossed
2: that it yeah, it's fixed. Uh what would be involved in replacing the spindle bearings? Replacing the whole spindle? Yes. So the spindle bearings.
3: You can rebuild a spindle yourself. Um, the problem is that in order to inspect the bearings, you have to like press them off the spindle. And once you've done that, you've basically destroyed the bearings anyway. Um Right. So and just a set of bearings for the fidal, the the bearings in a spindle are like really high precision, right? So a set of angular contact bearings uh for the spindle in a fidal is about a thousand dollars US. Hmm. Um, Not from and... Master. <laughs> <laughs> mm, I haven't looked it up. You might actually be able to get them on there. Um, the problem is none of the suppliers will tell you what the bearings are. They'll just sell you the bearings. You know? They do so have you like angular probably... contact thrust bearings, just so you know. Yeah, I bet they do. But are they um, C7, like ABEX 7 rated? That That's the issue. And normally they have to come in matched pairs as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they're kind of my
2: my research kind of is pricing. not uh is not telling me that. <laughs> <laughs>
3: um yeah, and then the other issue is when you're so let's say you do manage to um pull apart the spindle, change the bearings, and that's on, the only issue. Um the other problem is that you then you have to set the preload correctly. Too much and the spindle will overheat and cook itself again straight away. Um too little and the spindle shaft will bounce around inside the housing and you'll get terrible finishes. Right. Okay. Um, and when you're assembling the spindle bearings, they don't come greased. You have to add a very precise weighed amount. Like you have to like weigh the grease on like a precision scale to add exactly the right amount. Cause again, too much in the bearings will overheat too little and they'll wear themselves out. Okay. Um, and you have to do that in basically a clean room. Because if you get any dust or grit in there, then that grit's just going to get stirred through your spindle bearings at 7,500 RPM or 10,000 RPM. And again, your new spindle bearings are toast. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, uh, doing a spindle rebuild in-house is one of those things that's like, yeah, it's totally possible to do it, but you have to be like very careful.
2: Right. So maybe not worth it if you're going to have to drop a thousand bucks. How much is a new spindle?
3: Like 3,500 bucks. Hmm. Okay.
2: Well, um, but you could send one out. You could send it
3: out and have it rebuilt. Like another company will rebuild it for you for, you know, 1500 Right. So that would be the smarter thing to do.
2: Right. Uh, well, yeah, let's hope that that's not it.
3: Yeah, exactly. Let's hope it's the $70 worth of spindle bearings. So uh, where spindle are you at? Motor at now.
2: Right. Where are you at?
3: Uh, I just uh, shrink fitted the um, pulley back onto the motor cool um so the motor is ready to be lifted back into place and wired back in um i did notice that the so i actually i did a balance on the the motor pulley the other day um cuz i was thinking like oh maybe it's the vibration you know maybe the motor pulley wasn't balanced properly um and i noticed that i actually added weights i didn't realize the pulley had already been balanced previously um, and so when I was like refitting it, I pulled out all the little cork stoppers that cover the balancing holes. And I noticed that they were actually weights added at the factory, exactly opposite of my, of the weights that I added. So clearly the factory balance was, was wrong because <laughs> really? I was like undoing their balance. Yeah. So I'll have to, um, do that again, uh, after I've fitted it. No, that, that's fine. That's not a huge deal.
2: Um, so when do you when are you gonna fire it up and see
3: tomorrow morning i I'll, I'll yeah I'll put it back together tomorrow morning um do do the balance on the spindle um uh, motor and the spindle um, motor pulley and then belt her up and see what happens righty fingers
2: crossed eh yes i'll i'll cross my keep my fingers crossed all day tomorrow for you <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good.
3: Yeah. Apart from that, um, I've been working on automated finishing in the machines, which is uh, fun and exciting. More brushes. Yes, more brushes, and I've actually found some that work, which is very funny. And guess how much they are? So the last brushes uh, that yeah. I did, the Zebek brushes, um, one brush and its holder was five hundred bucks.
2: Okay, I'm gonna say a dollar fifty for a toilet brush from uh, Amazon. Close. <laughs> How much do you
3: really think the the working brushes are?
2: Well, okay, so it's a is it a you know precision tool? Like, is it from a you know like it's from commercial? McMaster. It's from McMaster. Yeah. I don't know. It's for putting into a spindle, or have yes. you hacked something together?
3: Yes. No, it it is designed for this.
2: Okay, I can say eighty bucks. For the price of a good. You know, end mill. Seven dollars. How much? Seven dollars. Seven dollars?
3: Yeah. So it turns out that 3M, um, who make a lot of abrasives, have this product called a bristle disc.
2: Bristle disc? It's
3: actually a bristle disc. Um, and I'm it's it it's actually super cool. It's um, Okay. It's an injection molded plastic brush that has a quick, it has like a thread on the back of it. So it actually just like threads into a holder. Um, mm-hmm. So they sell like a specific shank for it. That's like, I think it's like 14 bucks for the shank. Um, and then the disc itself is seven bucks. And so as I said, it's an injection molded plastic brush, but the plastic actually has abrasive in it.
2: It's when nylon the bristles. Molded.
3: Yeah.
2: Oh, cool. I'm looking at it right now.
3: So the reason it's super cool though is that there's something weird about the the geometry of the bristles. With a normal like nylon brush, that's been kind of like they they make like you know nylon bristles and then they kind of cast it together into a, a brush. When you push one of those into the workpiece, the bristles okay. will spread apart. Does that that make sense, right? Like you're pushing it in, the bristles kind of sure um, yeah spread apart. You know, for the some reason the, the yeah. For some reason these 3M bristle discs, what actually happens is they kind of drag on the surface and they pull together into a more solid um piece. So the harder you push them into the workpiece, the more they kind of tuck together and and um become more solid. Sure. Whereas yeah. with the other brushes, the
2: more they you push flatten. into
3: the workpiece, the more they flatten out and, and it kind of gets rid of the pressure that you're trying to create. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like where a nylon brush doesn't really cut on, you know, so I'm, I'm trying to finish hardened steel, you know, right. by rubbing a brush over the surface and the nylon brush just kind of bounces off. Doesn't really do anything. These little bristle discs actually cut.
2: They, like... they've got an abrasive in them. It says here, yeah. um, uh, oh, I clicked on it and they got rid of the description. Uh, it says that, uh, they've got 3M Rolock?
3: Yes. Okay. I was, yes. No, they, 3M lock. There's
2: a grit. Yeah. Aluminum oxide. Yeah. Grit. So it's basically yes. sandpaper.
3: Yeah. Um, so like it's not perfect. Um, but I'm still experimenting with it. But you know, for like seven bucks, like if you were gonna do um deburring, for instance, in the machine, like mm. if you were machining steel and you wanted to deburr the edges with a brush or something. These are a fantastic option, you know, less expensive than the other brushes that I've tried, and you can change them out in the machine without having to like change, take out the tool holder or anything. Right. Um, So, yeah. That's so
2: cool. And the max RPM is 30,000 for this one.
3: Yeah, because they're designed to be run in um, like angle grinders and stuff. Right. They're not designed for CNC machines. Okay, because Um,
2: McMaster sells one that is designed for CNCs it's ceramic uh, abrasive
3: they sell a a rolock uh, a bristle disk that's designed for cnc's or it looks well,
2: different it looks different than the one you use but it's kind of interesting looking did you not see this if you search i've seen disc,
3: some i've seen some yeah it kind of looks like a flower they, petal pattern yes yeah i think i have seen that
2: okay but it's much more expensive
3: <laughs> yeah and it's it's that um it's not that injection molded um, yeah, yeah, I see that. Yeah. It's not the injection molded bristles. It's the kind of standard nylon fiber bristles. Um, I don't think I've tried that specific one, but I've tried the, the smaller version of
2: that thing. Mm. Well, that's so cool nice. that this is, so what, what kind of finish is, is this, uh, leaving you with?
3: Um, and it's like a swirly sanded finish, you know, it kind of looks like, um, almost like an orbital sander kind of finish.
2: Okay. And what, yeah. what kind of pattern are you doing? Are you just going over it back and forth or are you trying to i'm doing like a
3: pocketing pattern so kind of following the outside contours um because one thing i learned pretty quick is that you don't want to cross the boundary of that pocket you know because i'm basically machining a pocket into the steel that has like sharp edges Mm -hmm. right so if you cross the brush over that boundary a lot then you're kind of just wearing it out on the sharp Yeah. corner of the the pocket whereas if you kind of keep it in the pocket and and you know go around the shape of the knife stepping inward then you're not wasting the abrasive you know um but yeah it's so i've been super impressed so far we'll we'll see we'll see i mean i'm not sure that it's going to be a magical solution but it might
2: help it's gonna maybe reduce your downstream processes
3: yes that's that's the hope um the other thing is I did actually find that that, that same um, attachment mechanism, the, the Rolock TR, which is like this little kind of threaded quick change fastener thing. They actually sell um, Scotch-Brite pads uh, for that system. Oh, and they yeah. sell some that are like super cushioned. They're like three-eighths of an inch thick. Um, so it's like a, a cushiony sponge, you know. So I actually tried some of those. I haven't tried them in the CNC machine. I've tried them by hand. Um, mm-hmm. And they're even more aggressive.
2: Yeah, I, I'm always impressed by how uh, effective Scotch Brite is.
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, like I've got some Scotch Brite belts for my belt grinder, right. um, and the coarser ones will like throw a huge shower of sparks and like take a lot of material off if you're if you're um, cutting like soft steel.
2: Yeah, like I I've seen people use them to remove tabs on, you know, like five mm. axis machine parts. And it's just like, boom, right. gone. Man, that's, that seems like such a, um, a
3: dichotomy, like beautiful know, five I axis know. part. <laughs> and then you just, wham, shove it on the scotch brite.
2: <laughs> yeah, but it's one and done.
3: Yeah, I guess as long as it's not a dimension surface, then you yeah. yeah. Uh, but okay. uh, yeah, you're right. It's funny. So yeah, I've been working a lot of different stuff. I've also been doing, um, uh in process deburring um so that's that's one thing that I've kind of done manually for a long time is like you know I I'm like interpolating whole like holes in hard steel um and then running a reamer through them and so they end up with like a little tiny burr top mm-hmm. and bottom and I'm just kind of like lapping it on a surface plate really quick but when I before I change it over to the next station on my fixtures um but I'm just I'm trying to like look at you know with fresh eyes all these little things, and now that I'm running lights out, uh, cycle time is a bit less important. So you know, adding five minutes to a cycle to do deburring in the machine, less of an issue. Yeah. Um. So I've actually been having fun. I had a lot of fun programming this. It was a bit pucker inducing. I'm actually reaching through these one eighth holes with a um, undercutting lollipop. Ah, and so
2: cool! I love the
3: deburring. Yeah, deburring the underside of those holes. And also deburring the underside of all the pockets that I'm doing in that same setup. Um, so I think it's about two and a half minutes of just deburring. Um, but then it comes out with this beautiful tiny little chamfer top and bottom on all of the hard milled pockets and the and the holes.
2: Um yeah, that's great. I mean I fuck I love when everything has it, 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 products look so much more finished when they've got these machined chamfers and things like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's just it's just tiny, and it's in a place
3: where no one will ever see it because it's sealed inside the handle scales. Oh, okay. <laughs> Still, yeah. nice. Yeah, um, it just reduces my um, like the amount of attention that I have to pay by a little bit. You know, I'm
2: uh, I'm trying to remember this tool I saw recently that was. <laughs> So cool. It was a deburring tool Mm -hmm. and it kind of looks like a boring bar almost. And it's got this little tab coming off the side. And as you plunge it into the hole, that is a chamfering tool, but it's spring loaded. So as you push the tool through the hole, it's chamfering the hole, but it's sort of springing into the bar, the bar. Um, And then you plunge through and then it springs out the other side and chamfers the underside of the hole. And then it'll spring right back through. Have you seen this?
3: Yeah, I I have seen it. I'm just, I'm just trying to find the supplier right now. Yeah. They're super cool. It's um, made by Cogsdill.
2: Oh, okay. I've heard this. I was looking at a different brand, like a Swiss made Mm. tool, but I've heard of those, that brand as well. Um, yeah so um, where is it deburring tools
3: yeah the ones that I've seen are made by Cogstill and yeah they're exactly like that they have like a little um, kind of little tab sticking out that's spring loaded and then you just feed them in and out through the hole and you've done deburred on both sides yeah very
2: cool so sick uh, yeah what was, oh Huel Huel how do you spell that? H-E-U-L-E 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 Hule Tool Hule Tool?
3: Cool, I'll have to check them out
2: Yeah, they, uh, oh, they, seem-
3: they oh, those look fancy
2: Yeah, well they're Swiss
3: <laughs> I actually um, So one of the things I've been mucking around with since the last time we talked is my tool holding um, So I think we talked about that I was, so I was using those hydraulic holders, and I'd found that it just wasn't quite working for my mm-hmm. application. So I went back to ER twenty five, which I've used for a long time. Um, and I, has, I've been mucking around with using um, bearing nuts um, rather than the the normal plain solid nuts. So the the bearing nuts actually have um, the face that contacts the front of the collet is actually uh, it has a, um, a ball bearing in there so it can that section of the, the nut can rotate. Um so it means that it twists your collet less, which gives you a bit more accuracy. Okay. Um and there's less friction happening when you're tightening the collet. So that means you get more clamping force. So right. theoretically it's better concentricity, if I'm saying that right, and better clamping force. And but you still use an ER collet. Yeah, you, you same, still use a standard DR er collet call it. And everything. Yeah. So
2: isn't there a limit on um, how much you should how much force you should press on an ER collet? Like
3: yeah, yeah, and that that force though is not really about the collet, as far as I understand it. It's more about the torque that the nut can take. Oh, okay. Because um, it's yeah, a threaded so, thing, and not yeah, a, yeah. So over so, Yeah. So one interesting thing that I've found though so far is that the um, the bearing nuts are less prone to getting scratched and to less prone to fucking up collets because with a normal um, collet nut, if there's any contamination inside the that face that those two precision surfaces are just like scraping against each other right whereas with a bearing nut they don't those two faces don't scrape against each other because they're not it the nut isn't having to turn that face
2: yeah that i need to sense. see one of these where did you get it
3: uh marital right. they sell um bearing nuts as an add-on uh for their their tool holders, so got a couple of those and then i've also just been doing a super ghetto solution of um i bought a a quarter inch hole punch and i've been hole punching quarter inch holes in masking tape and then (laughs) putting that over my tools to seal off the the front of the the collet and there you go
2: i mean okay i found these what's the set screw for
3: um the set screw just um what does it do? It, I think it just retains the bearing balls.
2: Oh, okay. Like and you, don't, um, you don't
3: do anything with this set screw.
2: Do you have a, I forget if we've talked about this. Do you have a torque wrench?
3: I do, yes.
2: And However, do you unfortunately need to buy I, a new? Uh, yeah, I don't have a torque wrench that fits these. Right. These Did numbers, you consider so. buying like their adapter? Yes,
3: I probably will because I've just been kind of doing it good enough, which isn't
2: the right thing to do. Um, so, okay, so you've, I interrupted you because I was just looking at this, but you've got this, you've got a hole punch now and you're, you're just,
3: yeah, I'm just hole punching masking tape, That's quarter inch holes, chuck it over the front of the tool. And you know what? (laughs) It works really well. Um, I'm actually thinking about like having some like really thin, um, steel shim stock laser cut to that same kind of shape and then just super gluing it to the face of my nuts. Did you say glue um, it so that yeah just just put like a little dab of super glue or something on there sure. to glue it to the face of the 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 uh, collet nut and then that way again I have that like seal. Um, I did actually have a rep from a local tooling supplier that I think you know of. I'm not going to name them. Um, I had a I I called them up, you know, and they were very responsive. They had a rep at my Shop within three hours with, okay. um, you know, catalogs and some sample tools and stuff. Basically, I, there's there are some ER systems that have a um, a sealing disc at the front. It's designed for sealing co- uh, coolant in, but it would also do a very good job of keeping chips out. Okay. Um, so yeah, I wanted to get some pricing on that. Funny thing is, I never actually ended up being able to get pricing out of the guy on on this system he basically talked me out of it because he was like look the the coolant sealing discs are an extra quarter inch thick so you're still going to have that extra tool stick out which is the thing that i'm trying to get rid of right me. right, right so i was like okay yeah i get it um and so he was trying to like get me into a bunch of other systems he's trying to get me into shrink fit the trying to get fix. Me into the, yeah the, i think it was the rego fix the power power grip system yeah, have you seen yeah. That? that's pretty sick yeah yeah, but do you know what the the entry price is on that? I do not. Okay. I was like, okay. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Power Grip looks amazing. How, how much? And he's like, $30K. thirty k.
2: Thirty thousand dollars. What is it? Apparently, because like, you need that machine.
3: Yeah. So, for those that haven't seen it, the Power Grip. Um, you basically have a tool holder that has like a smooth cone on the inside, kind of like an ER collet holder. And then you have these collets that are very, very close tolerance inside, kind of like an ML holder. And the collet is also just a solid thing. It has no slots or anything in it. And it's just a taper. And you basically just smush these two parts together with a hydraulic power system. Mm-hmm. And you smush them so hard that the taper actually it collapses the inside bore like it actually crushes the steel a little bit and holds onto the shank of the tool that way yeah so it's very cool cuz there's like you it's know no more like, no um,
2: shrink but but like yeah by Without force
3: yeah <laughs> yeah um but yeah apparently it's like i mean he didn't give me a quote but he was like oh yeah it's like 30k you know so he was i wasn't trying to talk me into it after that um he did also tell me about this Japanese company that are making heat shrink holders, and they're making them out of a material that has a uh, it 's a type of steel that's been specifically designed to have the largest possible um, thermal coefficient of expansion, so when you heat it up, it moves a lot more than regular steel, and that means you can just use a torch you don't okay. need the like fancy induction heater and stuff um, you can just use like a torch or like a really
2: hot heat gun well I guess it, a lot of people but... use a torch. <laughs> Anyways, but it must take yeah. a while. Um I don't think it actually takes
3: that long if you're using like a map torch or something, like a hot torch.
2: Yeah. Um for me but the issue. Would just
3: with, take a, this would be a lot faster than that. Yeah, and you're not really supposed to use torches with shrink fit holders. Like the suppliers tell you not to do it. Um <laughs> you know, I think basically it's like the, the heating has to be even from side to side. And if it's not, then you could potentially be clamping off center or have like uneven clamping pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how true that is, but you know they want to sell you the the ten thousand dollars induction machine or however much right. it is. Um, so yeah, it was just really interesting having a, a a tooling rep into the shop. I think the cheapest system that he tried to sell me on was about six hundred dollars per holder
2: per holder.
3: Yeah. Um, God and damn. yeah, when, when I, he was like, where are you getting your tooling from now? And I said Maritol, and he was like, oh uh-huh. yeah, you know, kind of, kind of like dismissing Maritol, But then I was like, man, <laughs> I just go on the website. I'm like, I, this is what I want. I click order and it, it gets here in like two days. Like,
2: well, I, it's funny cause you know, that tool holder might be $600, but it might not be any better. It's just that they've got a distribution system that everyone's got to yeah. get a taste so yeah, exactly. the price jumps up to six hundred dollars real quick, because you know I've noticed like if I've been looking for for ER tool holders since Mari mm-hmm. Tool doesn't make the one that I want anymore.
3: Oh, you want that two point five inch gauge length one, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I would I would take another gauge length, but th- they've their offerings with ER twenty five is slim now Mm. interesting um so i've been getting trying to get pricing on other things and everything is like 160 bucks or more for what Tool is selling for 108
0: right
3: and where are the other tool holders made
2: well so there's um uh the ones i got from kenna metal which are fine they're made in slovenia um Mm -hmm. and i've heard that they're like i've heard other people have uh, have had great success with them. Right. They, uh, you know, I don't notice a difference. Right. Um, but uh, there are a hundred, like I got them on sale, like, because I had a tooling credit with Kena Metal. Right. Uh, so they cost about the same as Mari tool, tool holder with that tooling credit. But now my tooling credit's up. So right. I'd have to pay full price for them. <laughs>
3: Right. Yeah, I mean, you know, um, Haas have been. I I get like two emails a day from Haas about Haas tooling.
4: Yeah, they are going.
3: So in Canada, we can apparently order it through our local HFO.
2: Right. Yeah, that's what Fabrizio. So if you call
3: Fabrizio, me. yeah, he'll he'll order mm-hmm. it in for you. So I don't know how much extra cost that's going to add or whatever, but um, honestly. So like their indexable holders and uh, indexable inserts um, are all made in South Korea, which is um, a lot of stuff, like a lot of indexable stuff c- comes from there anyway. Oh yeah, um, yeah. And so I mean, that a lot that's, that's not, not nice.
2: Really... Machines are made in South Korea too. Doosan's yes. are all South so... Korea too, aren't they? Yep. Uh... I think so, yeah.
3: So, I, I don't hold that as a strike against them. The no. thing that bothers me is that their tool holders, like the ER collet holders and stuff, are all made in China.
2: Yeah, um, what do you, how do you know that?
3: Because it just says on their website. It says, oh, it does, yeah, yeah. So, they're not really trying to hide it, but it does bother me that they didn't just set up U.S. manufacturing for it, you know,
2: yeah, really.
3: yeah. Um. But that being said, if they have the gauge length that you want, honestly, just go through the HFO and, and get it from them because their prices are stupid.
2: <laughs> I'm gonna check what their prices are. Uh um, their,
3: their prices are really it's it's crazy. I think it's like for an ER twenty five holder, I think it's like eighty bucks or
2: something. C T forty ER twenty five. <gasps> Sixty three bucks. Yeah. For two and a half inch gauge length.
3: <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Haas are, are really aggra- being really aggressive about getting into that market. It's a, um,
2: I, I mean, it's a good business to be in anything. hundred uh, percent. Especially because they're selling tools. You'd be like, uh, I see you need 30 tool holders.
3: <laughs> yeah. You know, and it, absolutely. It makes a ton of sense for them because people are going to trust them. They're a machine tool manufacturer. Um, you know, if you had an issue with a Haas tool holder in your Haas machine, you know you're going to have a lot more kind of.
2: Well, that's um, why they force you. Around. Yeah, that's why they force you to buy their um, uh, pull studs. Right.
3: Right. Exactly. Um, so yeah, it, you know, if they have what you need, I would get it from Haas. As I said, my my issue is just that they. I hope that they decide to move towards setting up u s manufacturing for their tool holders. I um, understand yeah. why they wouldn't do it for inserts and stuff um you know, and as i said like i'm I'm not miffed that they made in in South Korea, but yeah, you know,
2: yeah, country of war in China I mean, yeah, like
3: you can have fantastic quality stuff made in china the The oh, issue yeah. is just that you know. China has been very aggressive in the past with subsidizing things like their internal steel industry. So like part of the reason that steel industry in other countries went away is because for a long time, the Chinese government was like subsidizing the cost of steel production in China to the tune of like almost 50%. So they were like basically pushing everybody else out of the market. Um, You know, so yeah, just, just stuff like that kind of rubs me the wrong way. Um, Mm -hmm plus you know keeping jobs local is a good thing
2: yeah i'm I'm not opposed to manufa- what you know manufacturing china I mean it's a massive hub for manufacturing um yes. I do think having industry in North America is a good thing, and 100%. this does seem like you know like they're not outsourcing their machines um but they are probably yeah. maybe they're cast I bet you yeah, their castings are from China. That wouldn't surprise me. Yeah,
3: I don't I have no idea. I th- I think they have their own foundry. Did
2: they?
3: Yeah, in, in California. But you know, like I, I think that the way that Frank at Maratool has approached that whole business makes a ton of sense. You know, he's able to compete with tool holders made in other countries uh that are, you know, have cheaper labor because he's cut out distribution. Exactly. So he's you know, he's he's maximizing his margins because he's cutting out stuff that doesn't add value. No, yeah. I, I really, I approve of that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I would, I'm super happy with the experience I had ordering them with this was so easy. I'm just a little, I'm, I, you know, I'm sure they have their reasons, but I'm annoyed because I chose ER 25 because you told me to. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and I like the two and a half inch gauge length. And then now poof, no more ER25, two and a half inch. Now they only Did you have. Call them? I haven't yet. So now Honestly, they only just, have in that. With, in, unless you're with 1. getting 1.85 and three, right? Not even 1.85. That would have been nice. Just 3.5 for ER25, unless you get the mini nut, and then you can get three or four inch. Oh,
3: huh.
2: that's very so, pretty So pretty big, pretty long tool holders. Oh,
3: that, that's very strange. They've always had the. I hope they haven't actually cut out the one point eight five because that's my favorite tool holder. I have a lot of them.
2: Yeah, hey, you yeah. Can call Frank. You he's your guy. There you go.
3: Oh yeah. You know, it may just be that they're out of stock or something. So just call them up and ask them what the deal is. You know. Well,
2: usually they still have it on their website, and they just say check stock. Call yeah. to check stock. So, and I've, this has been a while. I've been you know wanting to buy new tool holders for a couple a couple weeks.
3: Well, maybe you have to go to ER thirty two. They have ER32 and 2.35.
2: Yeah, well, I thought about it because I still have some ER32 collets because that's what. Right. <laughs> funny enough, that's what the uh, axes, all my tool holders are uh, right. ER32.
3: Which is such overkill for that little rapid. <laughs> um,
2: but uh, yeah. Uh, I so I thought about doing that. It just pissed me off <laughs> because I bought the. Navi yeah, you Navi had to, tried like, to six,
3: standardize.
2: Yeah, and I try now. I got to spend sixty bucks on another um, uh, torque wrench adapter. Uh,
3: okay, so if you want to go, if you want a, a cheap experience, if you go to Shaw's, <laughs> they yeah. sell packs of four uh, ER twenty-five tool holders, two point five inch gauge length for like a hundred and sixty bucks.
2: Okay, and where are those made? China.
3: Um, I think they're made in China as well. Yeah.
2: Is tech? What about Technics? Are they all right? I mean, all my callouts are Technics.
3: Um. Yeah, I haven't heard bad stuff about them. I, I. think they make their tools in a lot of different places. Right.
2: Kind of like of Metal. I was, you know, like they're not of Metal. It's not even branded of Metal. It's got it's branded something else. Um. Ericson. Really. Oh. Okay. But they're fine. They're nice. The one thing that I think is funny about them, and this is probably, you know, I'm not a machinist, so, but um, they are hand deburred uh, oh. around the um, like the um, what is it called the anti uh, rotation tabs,
3: right? Yeah the um, the slots.
2: Yeah, the slots. Drive uh, slots is what they drive mean. slot. Yeah, so they're they're clearly handy bird <laughs> that's just like ugly this little like chamfer which you know probably just a result of them you know doing this on just a probably a big old uh, um, lathe without like the right. fancy multi-axis uh, live tooling whatever
3: so i'm i'm just on the shah's website and you know what's crazy so it's not 150 bucks it's 260 bucks for a pack of four which means that buying from halves would be cheaper wow that that's pretty nuts
2: well i mean th- that's what you get i mean the overseas made stuff like made in china is cheap yeah often yeah
3: you know i i don't Advocate buying the cheapest thing. I don't think that that's a good thing to do. But, you know, it's interesting. Like, we want to keep manufacturing local. And to do that, part of what we have to do is continue to exist as manufacturers and, you know, in, in your place as an employer. You know, so if there's no difference to you between buying a $600 tool holder or buying a $60 tool holder, then, you know, kind of buy the
2: 60 <laughs> yeah well if they if they are within the tolerances they're stating then yep will they'll, they'll be just fine for me i i i liked the idea of supporting mari tool and i i liked the experience i got from them cuz it was so easy mm-hmm. they did make me addicted to that price point point. and now when i look at a different you know quality tool uh, tooling manufacturer but it's 40 50 60 100 Plus dollars more. I'm, I, that's a harder pill to swallow now because I'm I'm used yeah. to the price that they've got me used to. I'm hooked on that price point.
3: Well, and I agree with you, particularly when we're talking about another tool manufacturer that has distributors. You know, so if you're like buying from like a retail location or through a distributor, and it's you know a three hundred dollar tool, to, as you said, like a distributor is not going to take less than like at least twenty five percent. Usually more like fifty. You know, so, so much of that price is just going to a place that isn't really giving you any benefit other than, you know, so this tooling manufacturer, this tooling distributor that I was talking to, they don't even hold stock. Right. Yeah. So if I order something, they're just going to have it drop shipped from the manufacturer. You know, so... Really there's no reason why the manufacturer shouldn't just make a website like Marital and sell direct <laughs> you know like it
2: I mean um, I, yeah i so i I recently or yesterday I put in an order th- with triumph tools for some Harvey and helical tooling, which I'm really excited right. about um it was I had to put my I, I had to literally call them and I talked to a lovely woman, and um she was super friendly and was extremely eager to help and i had to read out the tool numbers right like the the skew number to her and she manually entered them and then sent me an email with a quote and then of course when i'm reading the quote the tool listing they give like you know they use jargon like everything short form so i'm like "In, in order to reference check this versus the website like i've got to do some sort of make some assumptions you know it's like it doesn't it's not listed in the quote like it's listed on the website right so it's kind of annoying it doesn't
3: okay so maybe maybe you don't know this harvey if you go on the harvey tool website and you go through and add stuff to your cart
2: yeah you can share it
3: yeah you send it to the distributor and then so i called them though
2: here. and that's this is i i told her i said i have it all in my cart and she was like yeah just read them out to me and i was like i oh. can share this anyways right my yeah first i agree it
4: it's it's but so
2: i then she i was i asked her i was like i also need some er tool holders which you know is a different would be a different supplier so right. she was like well i can put you in touch with our salespeople, people and they can talk you through it and, you know it's like if i need a shell mill holder or i need a deburring if i say i needed that crazy deburring tool or that we were talking about right. like they are sort of a one-stop s- source for this stuff and then it's free shipping if i order anything over 300 they are they're ensuring they've, they've they're making sure i'm not having to be, i mean i'm paying tax on it
3: but you're not going to be paying brokerage you know, but i'm not going to be time. paying
2: brokerage and with maritool i don't think that they were putting um i think i paid uh duty on it because they didn't provide a USMCA certificate of origin, which they could. Oh.
3: Well, so I don't know if you... I don't know how long it's been since you've done a marital order, but in Canada now, if you ask them to ship with FedEx, um, they will charge you Canadian HST up front. Uh, Like, they will will clear it for you and then send it with FedEx, so there's no, like, further...
2: Well, the funny thing is they could... All they'd have to do is fill out a USMCA document and... Unless there's something for some reason they don't qualify, but it's an American-made product. It would definitely be within the criterion of um, you, you know, the uh, manufacturing requirements. So it's, it's like 70 percent made. Uh, it's 100 percent made in the U.S. of materials consisting, or of materials sourced in or outside of the U.S, which would put them into criterion B, I think. Um, so, it would be it would qualify for no import taxes. And that's how I ship my guitars. So, people in the States or Mexico don't have to pay tax. I'm sure lots of, like, obviously, tons of people take advantage of free trade, but never in the small scale sense. It's like, right. you know, if I order pickups, you know, like, they're not filling these documents out. It's really easy to do. Mm. Um, well, but. But um. So yes, free trade
3: is good. But marital stuff is made in the states. Yeah. But that means you still have to pay HST on it. You're not paying duty. You're still paying HST. Who's collecting it? The um. Good question. I think it just goes straight no. to the
2: government. <laughs> well, but you're not. Who are you paying it to? You're not. You pay duty, but if it's free, if it's free trade, you don't pay it. That's kind of the point. You're not paying tax on it. Now we get, it. we would get our tax back as a business. We could get, get to write that off or whatever. But you still got to pay it up front. Um,
3: I have a friend that is actually a um, Canadian Border Services officer. I'll ask him about that. I'm pretty sure that you have to pay HST. You and have then- to.
2: Pay it at the border, you have to pay it a, a separately, like you have to remember to pay this later when you pay your taxes. Because if I mm-hmm. ship something, if I uh, ship a guitar to an American and I mm-hmm. use this document, they do not pay duty. Mm-hmm. If I, I Americans in... pay duties <laughs>
3: on, on. Taxes, I guess, on much.
2: Um, if I, if I imported pickups from from Lawler, like a pickup manufacturer, mm-hmm. and I have asked them to do this in the past to provide the document, or I've I've provided it for them, and then I import it, FedEx, UPS, DHL, they don't call me and say, "Hey, you owe three hundred and sixty dollars on this now." You go yeah. oh, they it just it's it clears customs without a duty charge. And then maybe I'm supposed to call up the Canadian government at the end and say, hey, I bought these and now I owe HST on them. But I don't think that's how it works. Hmm. So anyways, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't have a thorough understanding of it. All I know is when I ship something, I fill this document out, and that's kind of the point of free trade. Yeah. Yeah, but that's true. Somebody listening knows. Please, well, thanks. as I said, I have a friend who
3: is a, um, literally he's a commercial import uh, inspection officer with the Canadian Border Services Agency. The, yeah, so I text will, him. I will ask him. Okay. Yeah, he, I'll be very he's some curious of the, he has some crazy stories about, uh, like there was a guy, they got a big wooden crate and they look at the, the you know, uh, lading, bill of lading and they're like, uh yeah, this thing's full of snakes. <laughs> um and then, you know, the guy comes to pick it up and they're like, Um, are any of these snakes venomous? Or sorry, he the guy said, Are any of these snakes poisonous? Okay. And the the customs agent says, Are any of these snakes poisonous? And the guy that's picking them up says, No, no, none of them are poisonous. And then so the customs officer is looking up, he's like, Okay, what are the, the names of them? So he's looking it up and he's like, uh, it says here this one's poisonous, and the guy's like, no, it's not poisonous, it's venomous. <laughs> oh,
2: nice. Poisonous is when so you eat it. it,
3: venomous is when they bite you. Yeah, and he he, he was not gonna, because apparently it's like a whole other thing, you know, if you're importing, like, venomous poisonous animals. Snakes. And he was, yeah. He was oh, so gonna, does he get to keep you know, the snakes? I don't know what the end of that, that, uh, but they deal with a lot of that kind of stuff, you know. I know, I like, wool over your eyes.
2: um, I, I've i tried to, to really dial in our, our shipping stuff and like I always mm-hmm. feel like I'm shipping like a pound of cocaine every time I ship a guitar just because I'm like uh, I feel like they're going to scrutinize the shit out of it because mm-hmm. like it's expensive and it's wood and it's got yeah, electric, yeah. electric components, electronic components, but really it's like probably the most innocuous thing they are, they're seeing across the border <laughs> that day. Yeah. So by
3: far, the most annoying thing that's happened to me with shipping was um, I forget what the issue was. I think a customer got like the wrong color or something. You know, I don't have that happen often, but it does happen. Um, He returned the knife to me. I asked him to mark it a certain way and I either his post office wouldn't let him do that or he did it incorrectly. I forget which one it was. I ended up getting charged import duties on my own knife. It was being returned to me. And then it got stolen out of the box. So I got an empty package delivered back to me <laughs> that I had paid duties on. And yeah. then, yeah, it, it was just like, and then I had to do
2: an insurance claim. Yeah, it was crazy. Oh, my God. So annoying. Um, yeah. No, shipping's, shipping's crazy. Um, we, well, that's uh... the thing.
3: You know, a lot of people that are starting a small business don't even realize that, like, something like that's going to be a problem. You know, like you just sense stuff.
2: Yeah, I mean, you'd think, be, you think, know? but like yeah. for us, uh, the because of the value of it, we can't use Canada Post, which would be an easy yeah. way to ship, it's an easy, cheap way to ship something. But that you are not, you are not technically allowed to ship anything valued over twenty five hundred dollars through Canada right. Post. Um, so then, it's the minute you start using one of the other shippers, now it's a commercial shipment. Well, I guess you have to claim it as a commercial shipment with Canada post, but it's just less complicated. Now you've got like all this documentation to fill out and then it hits customs and they, you know, for us, they were like the first time we ship something, they're like, um, where, where's your, uh, USDA plant and plant product declaration. Like I didn't know right. we needed one. Um, where's your, uh, uh, like, oh, this has finish on it. Like where's your chemical, um, compliance documentation or whatever i uh, oh, not wow. what it's called but and then right. um, we kept we kept they kept getting stopped at the border and we're like what the fuck do they keep getting stopped cuz mother of pearl they're like oh you can't you can't export mother of pearl you can't, into the states unless the person has a fish and wildlife permit right so it's each, not
3: actually mother of pearl right it's it you were using
2: well we do we were using mother of pearl oh okay right um now we'll use uh like perloid uh, right. We still use Mother of Pearl for Canadians and Europeans. You just can't ship right. it to the States. Um, yeah, it's
3: funny. I get I get um, people from the States all the time being like, oh, why can't you use tritium in your knives instead of the glow in the dark? Because tritium would just glow forever because right. it's a radioactive gas you know, in a last <laughs> mile. And I'm like, well, because it's illegal. You, I mean, you can't send it in the post to anywhere. And even owning it in, in Canada is illegal unless really? you... Um, yeah, unless it's in like a certified emergency lighting, uh, like emergency signage. Um, and even then, they're like trying to phase it out because, really? like, yeah, it's radioactive. <laughs> That's so funny.
2: Yeah, um, Yeah. so anyways, there's just complications like that. But yeah, so we do a okay. USMCA um, certificate of origin. And then our customers right. in the States pay no duty, pay in yeah, the see, I just DHL, no brokerage.
3: I just put on mine where's it from? Canada. Ontario.
2: Yeah. Done. That's nice. Yeah. Uh yeah, because you ship Canada Post.
3: No, I ship with DHL.
2: Oh, you do? Okay.
3: Yeah, I so think do you could I you just, do a
2: commercial invoice?
3: No. Uh sorry yes, I do a commercial invoice and it says this country of origin and the HS code on there. Um, but that's all yeah. I have to do.
2: I you know as soon as certain there's a certain price point that seems to be scrutinized much yes. more by customs, and yeah, it's a I think it's over package. 500
3: US. Yeah. Then underneath that you don't need like a detailed invoice, and over that you need detailed invoice and
2: blah right. blah. So I I've got the system dialed in. You know they still get they still get held up in customs every once in a while. It's usually because DHL didn't submit the documentation at all. Mm. <laughs> like they've maybe they submitted the commercial invoice, but they missed. The four other documents that I create, and anytime we ship to the UK or anywhere like outside of North America, I have to um, do a SIRS um, uh, like report. So I have to log into CER- like a Canada government website, the CBSA website, and oh wow, like create a claim that I'm shipping something. Oh wow it's a whole other thing it's pretty easy to do but it's a pain still <coughs> anything, anything extra so but yeah we've been getting guitar shipped out and it's been, been, <coughs> they've been, they've been arriving
3: that's good wow we went full circle this time we've gone all over the place
2: yeah um do you have anything anything else you want to ramble on about no not to,
3: not today um i mean you and i are just catching up because we haven't spoken in a while so we're kind of focusing on that i think um hopefully by n- our next recording we'll have some space stuff to talk about yeah um there was actually a tour that you would probably like there's a um a space company called firefly uh aerospace um that are making kind of small scale rockets Um, and Tim Dodd, the everyday astronaut did, um, I think it's like an hour and 15 minutes tour through, through their manufacturing facility. Um, and got to see a, um, yeah, they've got like a bunch of, uh, DMG five axis machines, the spaceship looking ones. Oh yeah. Um, you know, some nice live tooled lathes and that kind of stuff.
2: I just pulled up the YouTube video.
3: Um, I think the craziest room is actually there. They have a, a clean room specifically designed for doing composite, like carbon fiber composite layouts, including this like laser projection system. So they have like I- integrated with their CAD system. They actually have like, um, they have like a, a CNC cutting table that cuts the pre impregnated carbon fiber out of rolls. Okay. And then for each piece, they have like a laser projector that projects the outline of that piece of carbon fiber onto the mold to show you where to, to place it. Oh um, yeah. Kind of like tracing. Yeah, so that's
2: super really cool.
3: Yeah. But the, like... the clean room for doing their um, carbon fiber layups is like 2,500 square feet. Oh, sick. it's huge. Yeah. Um, and at the end of it, you, you get to see they actually do a, a test, like a static fire of one of their rockets. And Tim and the camera, they there like 200 meters away from this rocket being fired. Fuck yeah. Very, very cool.
2: Yeah. All right.
3: So yeah, if I you want to see some space manufacturing, yeah, Firefly Aerospace on YouTube. Um, and then, yeah, hopefully by next week, there'll be some more uh, SpaceX static fires of Starship. Um, and maybe getting into an orbital test launch, actually. Cool. But yes, on a on a personal level, not too much. Hopefully tomorrow I'll get the uh, get Millie back up and running, get my shop back into a working state. Yeah, I'll be. Uh,
2: I'm on pins and needles.
3: <laughs> um. Sounds good. Yeah, I've been talking to some machine reps and stuff, which we'll have to talk about next Excuse me. well. That's how you're going to leave us hanging?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Son of a bitch. Yeah. It's been an interesting experience,
3: actually. (laughs) What?
2: what, Because you're, you know, are you just sick of having your machines be in repair?
3: (laughs) (laughs) No, you know what? Honestly, I was thinking about that. Someone asked me about that, actually. You know, they're like, "Oh, you seem to spend more time fixing your machines than you do making knives." I'm like, "That's not (laughs) even close to being true." Um, (laughs) But you know, in the last like two years, three years, I've spent maybe a grand on Millie, maybe six hundred bucks, eight hundred bucks in parts, just you know, and and like a couple of days of downtime. That's not even one payment, one monthly payment on a new yeah. machine. Yeah, no, it's
2: it, it would have to be, um, it would have to improve your process and make it more efficient.
3: Yes, to justify, hundred uh, percent,
2: or or uh, be give you a um, a route to being more creative. Something like, you know, it's like if you got a five axis machine, well, what could you do with that? Like you could be more creative. So, you know, it's like, I think there are those things that you have to sort of, it's a good way to weigh um, how good a purchase something would be.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It has to be a big, big value add in some way for sure. Yeah. And I I think, you know, the next thing that I'm going to be chasing down is just like the quality of my surface finishes. Yeah. Um, so I've been doing like a lot of experimentation with Fusion 360, trying to like squeeze every little bit of out of
2: it. Um, well, and the cool and, thing about that is sorry to interrupt, but I was just gonna say like when you do get that new machine eventually, when you've got mm-hmm. plug that into with that experience in a in a Makino F5 or something, you know, like well, yeah, have, I mean the, we like, we can talk about it briefly,
3: systems. but it's yeah, it's it's very interesting. Like there. Uh, I didn't realize this, but there's apparently like a whole other section of the CAD industry just focused around surface finish for tool it. and die applications. Yeah, I believe um, And I, I did actually get a quick, you know, verbal quote for one of these software packages. So this isn't CAD. It's just CAM. Okay. Um, and it's just designed for surfacing. And it's $25,000 US per seat.
2: Per seat? Like per person that yeah. can use it? Yeah, is that um, is a software that you you buy and download, or is that a yearly subscription? They they
3: do have like a maintenance fee if you want to pay it to get like the latest updates. But yeah, you just get to keep it, um, you know. And in the right application, like if you're like able to reduce hand finishing or or whatever, it sure, twenty five
2: thousand dollars can can become cheap real quick.
3: Yeah, yeah, but for me, you know, I'm trying. To work out is the limitation of my machines, or is it my CAD? And I'm pretty sure it's my machines. Um, yeah. You know, so but I've been going through the, this process of like trying to work out. There are some actually pretty non-intuitive settings in Fusion that vastly, that like significantly impact your surface finishes. Um, so I'm I'm gonna try and do a video on that, just kind of demonstrating the like worst worst to best. Um. And then it has other impacts as well, right? Like, I made some changes in the way that I generate my toolpaths because of that um, to try and maximize the surface finish. And the time it takes to generate toolpaths on my computer went from like, you know, less than a minute to like 25 minutes. Right. Yeah. You know, so yeah, it, it's
2: pretty interesting, all that stuff. Yeah. That's a, I mean, that's a, I think that's a great way to approach it. Cause again, like, if you can, Get better surface finishes with the machine you have. Once you do get a new machine, you'll get ex- exceptional surface finishes by applying those yeah. same principles. Plus, yeah, having, exactly. you know, a better machine.
3: <laughs> so yeah, I'll leave you on that cliffhanger. I'll make some notes to make sure I don't remember this I don't forget the stuff for uh next time we talk. But yeah, it's it's good to be back in the saddle. It's good to be catching up with you again. And we will we're gonna catch up every two weeks, I think yeah. is gonna yeah, be I think uh, that's, a little bit easier.
2: That, I think that's, uh, that'll be easier to be consistent with. And, uh, yes. And, not and I think we'll also skeptic. have more to
3: talk about. The last yeah. little while, I think we've been running a little lean. You know, I think it will be, um, better to have a bit more stuff to talk about.
2: Yeah. We'll maybe be a little more refreshed.
3: Yeah. 100%. So lovely catching up with you as always, Nick. Lovely yeah, to speak nice. to everyone that's listening. Uh, you can yeah, all thanks. stop being angry with us now. <laughs> um, And we will talk to you all again in two weeks. Right on.
0: What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it.